Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I'm very pleased that you decided to join today because this is our very last official class for this group learning program. We're going to be restarting the whole program again. So if this is your first time in this course or in this program, it's a wonderful time to join because we're going to just be doing guided loving kindness meditation together today. And then I'll share with you how we're going to be restarting the group learning program. And you can actually start from the very beginning of the program and go all the way through. So I'd like to welcome all of you to our group learning program. Here on Sundays and Wednesdays, we get together in order to study the teachings of the Buddha. And then on Wednesdays, we actually do meditation together. So each Sunday, we're going to go chapter by chapter in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Enlightenment. And then on Wednesdays, I help you develop your meditation practice as a way to build you up in helping you to train the mind. So welcome and pleased that you're here. We have the ability for you to ask any questions as you go through the class. All you need to do is put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom. Our moderator, Miranda, will see that and be able to be sure your question gets asked during the class. If you're in Zoom, you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. The way that we do loving-kindness meditation is we start off with breathing mindfulness meditation. You'll see that I'll guide you in a breathing mindfulness meditation first. We'll do that for just about five or ten minutes to kind of prepare the mind, let go of anything that's bogging the mind down or burdening the mind, any kind of chatter that's there. Then we'll move into loving-kindness meditation where we'll be doing these affirmations. There's these four affirmations that we will do and we'll organize these in rings. It'll start with, may I be peaceful. And then when you hear that on your out-breath, wherever you get to your out-breath, you will repeat that in the mind, may I be peaceful. And then I'll say, may I be safe. And wherever you get to your next out-breath, because your out-breath is going to be different than mine, wherever you get to yours, you just repeat in the mind, may I be safe. And then we say, may I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. So there's going to be these four statements. After we do those, then we'll move on to wider and wider rings until we get to the very end where eventually we have all beings. We'll make sure that we cover all beings in our meditation. And what we're doing here is we're cultivating loving kindness or this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well and be peaceful. And by you cultivating this in the mind, what happens is you're moving anger and hatred out of your mind and you're bringing in this loving kindness or this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. 
so that now your intentions, your speech, and your actions can emanate from this loving kindness. And now when you interact in the world and your relationships, you'll start seeing that your personal and professional relationships will really blossom. Because instead of having anger, hatred, ill will, or some of the lesser versions like frustration, irritation, or annoyance, rather than that coming through your intention, speech, and actions, you're now going to have this loving kindness come through that you've been cultivating in meditation over multiple sessions. You'll start having this genuine interest in seeing all beings be well. And that's what will come through in your intention, speech, and actions. And of course, you need to put this together with a lot of other teachings related to this path to enlightenment that the Buddha shares. But this is a really important one, having a regular meditation practice to include loving kindness meditation. So let's go ahead and get started with our meditation. We'll start off in either the seated, lying, or standing positions. Those are usually the three positions that we do loving kindness meditation in. There's also a walking position, but we tend to only do breathing mindfulness meditation in this position. So if you're in a seat, like a chair or on the floor, make sure that if you're on the floor, you put something under your rear and you just lightly cross your legs. By putting something under your rear, this will lessen the angle at your hips, your knees, and the ankle, making it so that the body can be comfortable. Not luxurious, not painful, but comfortable. If you're in a chair, you might just have your feet flat on the floor, or you might even lightly cross them at the ankles. It's up to you. It's not about everyone doing it exactly the same. It's about you finding what's comfortable for you. Once your lower body is nice and comfortable, Next, focus on the hands and the arms. The Buddha placed his right hand on top of his left and his thumbs together, and then you place that into your lap. If that's comfortable for you, you can use that. But if for some reason that doesn't feel comfortable, there's other options. You can place your palms on your thighs, on your knees. You can put the arms on the armrests of the chair, whatever feels comfortable. Essentially, the lower body and the hands and arms should be completely disengaged. There should be no tension in the muscles at all. They should all be completely relaxed. Now with the upper body, you would like that to be nice and erect, not real rigid and stiff, but not lackadaisical and completely collapsed either. You would like the upper body to be erect and straight. This helps to keep the mind attentive and alert during our meditation. Because our meditation is a dedicated, active, purposeful training session. And in order to keep the mind attentive and alert, we like to keep our upper body erect, which keeps the mind attentive and alert during our meditation. Next, just close the eyes and start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just start gradually breathing in through the nose. And wherever you get to the next breath, gradually breathe out through the nose. Your breath isn't going to necessarily sync up with the guidance that I'm providing. So wherever you get to the next inhale, just gradually breathe in through the nose, experiencing the full breath. And then whenever you get to the exhale, just gradually exhale through the nose. You're not trying to control the breath or force the breath. You'd like it to just be a nice, natural, gradual inhale through the nose. 
and then exhale through the nose. If you like, you can stay here and just focus on the breath, breathing in and out. I'm going to do some chanting, and you're welcome to join along if you know these chants. If not, just continue to breathe in and out through the nose, and then I'll be back with some guidance after the chanting. steady breath. Not controlled, not forced, just a natural breath breathing in through the nose, experiencing the full inhale, and then an exhale through the nose, experiencing the full exhale. 
Breathing in. In, out. Focus the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air coming into the nose. This is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the present moment, the breath. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, as the mind moves off the breath, wherever you notice that, cut that off and let it go. Come back to the breath, the present moment. No need to judge the thoughts. Don't need to evaluate them, label them, or even try to figure out where they're coming from. Just wherever you notice that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in, in, out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of fixating the mind on the breath, cutting it off and letting go any time you observe the mind is not on the breath. Then I'll be back with some guidance for loving-kindness meditation. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. Just focus on the breath.
Continuing to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose. When you get to your next out breath, repeat this affirmation in the mind. May I be peaceful. May I be safe. May I be well. May I be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. May my parents be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my grandparents, aunts and uncles, elders of the family, be peaceful. 
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my life partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, friends and associates all be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May my children, nieces and nephews, cousins, all be peaceful.
may they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all beings, no matter who they are, whether I've met them or will never meet them ever, be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness in the suffering it causes. Go back to breathing mindfulness meditation, focusing on the breath, breathing in through the nose, 
and out through the nose. Fixate the mind on the breath.
to slowly make your way out of meditation just kind of ease back what we'll do is just kind of open up to any questions that you guys have whether it's in Facebook YouTube or zoom you can put those into the comment section and if you're in zoom you can electronically raise your hand and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly this is an opportunity for you to ask any questions that you might have related to the path to enlightenment whether it's about breathing mindfulness meditation, loving kindness meditation, anything that I taught as part of this entire group learning program or anything that you might be coming across in terms of your practice, you're welcome to ask any and all questions. So I'll just turn things over to you guys and see what questions you guys might have. Jan has her hand raised. There, I think I'm unmuted now. Thank you, Miranda. Thank you, Teacher David. Um, I had a moment um, during the loving kindness meditation when you guided us to think of our parents and our elders and um, grandparents um, I 
realized that I'm the eldest in my family. My parents are no longer alive, nor my grandparents, nor anybody older than me. And uh, I'm fine with that. But when you mention it, I felt like an electric jolt. And um, I don't know how to describe it. It wasn't really even a feeling. It was just a physical sensation and it distracted me for a while. And then it kind of, you know, went away. And I just thought I'd ask about that jolt, why I might have experienced that. Okay, perfect. So this is the bodily sensations. When we were talking about the four foundations of mindfulness this past Sunday, this is the bodily sensations that we will have before there becomes feelings in the mind. So if there's any discontentedness that's arising, any pleasant feelings, painful feelings, or feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, there's going to be some bodily sensations associated with this. And depending on what it is that you're working on, the bodily sensation is going to be different. And if you harbor any kind of hatred or ill will or any lesser versions, resentment, things like this, towards any beings that we go through in the loving kindness meditation, you might feel a bodily sensation as a part of that and tapping into that. And then it sounds like what you might have done or what you should do is you should cut that off and let it go. Just like you do in daily life when you're practicing the four foundations of mindfulness, the same thing in meditation. Whenever you observe any bodily sensation, cut it off and let it go. And this is how you train the mind to eliminate craving, desire, attachment so that it will no longer arise. And this is one of the reasons why I include these in our meditation is because remember that our loving kindness meditation isn't to have somebody else be loving and kind. It's not a prayer. It's not trying to change other people. It's attempting to work with our mind skillfully to move out the anger, hatred, and ill will and move in this loving kindness. So if these people are dead or deceased or passed away or no longer in your life anymore, and you include them in your meditation for loving kindness, and you have some anger, hatred, ill will, things like this, then there's going to be some discontentedness that's going to arise when you mention those in your own meditation or if a teacher mentions it in their meditation. And what you should get to the point of is where you can observe the bodily sensations and cut it off and let it go. And it sounds like it was just a little bit of one, which means there probably isn't much craving, desire, attachment there. There isn't much anger, hatred, ill will. Maybe that stuff is kind of dissipating because normally if we have real intense bodily sensations, there's going to be more craving and more anger, where if it's very minimal, then there's very little craving. There's very little anger. In that way, you can kind of assess where you're at. So what I would suggest to you from this point forward is do a couple of sessions where you include your parents and anyone else in your family. And you might even decide to do them individually because of the amount of time that we have in class and doing this online and so forth and trying to make sure I have a meditation that applies to all people. I kind of group them like that. But just to be sure that any kind of craving, desire, attachment to your parents, just to be sure any anger, hatred, ill will is out of the mind, I would do rings individually. You know, may my mom be peaceful and then do those four and then may my dad and then do those four and maybe do this over a couple of different sessions just to be sure that you do what the Buddha said, which is obliterated at the stump. And then it's no longer subject to future arising. 
because oftentimes when people pass away or when people are no longer in our life, we think that this anger, hatred, ill will is out of the mind, or we think that this craving, desire, attachment is gone, but it's just been buried so deeply that we don't even realize that it's there. So it's by experiencing something like this that it comes to your awareness that there may be something still there. So rather than just kind of assume that it's gone or, okay, that was interesting. I got this jolt. Not sure what that's about. Instead of walking away from this, turn around and walk towards it and be sure that you put this into your meditation for several sessions until you can meditate with your mom. You can meditate on your dad in terms of these rings and you have no bodily sensations no anger, no resentment, no hostility, no nothing arises in the mind whatsoever. It's just peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And then you know, okay, this has been let go of. But you have to see that over multiple sessions to know that that's true. You've obliterated at the stump and it no longer is subject to future arising. Thank you. You're welcome. We also have Chris has his hand raised. Let's go to him. Sure. Thank you, Teacher David. I, um, this morning, I, I have a particularly busy morning, and so I have a lot of things on my mind, not good or bad or otherwise, just busy, or, or at least I don't think they're good, bad, or otherwise, just busy. So when we were engaged in the breathing mindfulness portion of the meditation, these things are kind of creeping back into my mind. So I guess my question is, when you're particularly busy, when you have a lot of things going on, is that a good time to meditate? Or is it better to go resolve whatever you have going on and then take the time to meditate after that? It's actually the best time to meditate. Because if you're really busy, really active, you got a lot of things, that means you've got a lot of decisions to make. And each one of these decisions are going to be either wholesome or unwholesome. They're either going to be wise or unwise. And you would like your mind to be in the best state possible in making any decisions because you would like to ensure that they're not tainted with craving anger and ignorance, this unknowing of true reality. So whenever you observe your life is like really busy and really speeded up, that's the time, the best time to be meditating and making sure that you slow things down and you make really wise decisions. I don't usually get into Facebook memes very much, but there's this, you know, one Facebook mem where it says, you should meditate 30 minutes a session. And if you're too busy to meditate 30 minutes a session, then you should meditate an hour, right? <laughs> this is the whole idea. Like if you're too busy for meditation, that means you should be meditating. So be sure that you are looking at that and wherever you see that things are getting busy in your life, that's the time where things can kind of swirl on you and kind of like be a downward spiral because you're making all these decisions really fast. So that's the most ideal time to be sure that you're definitely getting your meditation. And even if you've already meditated in the morning, you've meditated in the evening, but now the middle of your day starts to kind of speed up a little bit, kind of put the brakes on, put things on hold, and then do a meditation in the middle of the day or mid-morning or mid-afternoon, wherever it is that you're noticing the mind is starting to speed up and there's lots of decisions that need to be made, 
slow it down. There's no reason to speed it up because that's what the mind wants to do. The unenlightened mind wants to speed up. It wants to keep going and going and going and has all this craving, desire, attachment. And it thinks if it gets to the end of this list, then I can rest and everything will be fine. But in reality, if you blow through all of those things and you're making, you know, 20% wise decisions and 80% unwholesome decisions, that means you're going to have to deal with that 80% all over again. So it's better to kind of slow things down, do your meditations, prepare the mind, no matter where it is in your day, and then just be sure that you're making really wise, wholesome decisions throughout your day. Don't allow the mind to keep running forward as this untamed animal. Instead, you would like to restrain it and tame it. Where you see the animals trying to run forward and lurch forward, that's where you need to pull it back and restrain it. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, sir. Um, On Facebook, Denise Davis asks, after a nightmare, is it correct if I try to do breathing mindfulness meditation? Yeah, this would be really helpful. If you're having a dream and you wake up in the morning or wherever you wake up and your mind is having difficulties letting that go and the mind is discontent because of that breathing mindfulness meditation is perfect for that because breathing mindfulness meditation is training the mind to let go let go let go and come back to the breath let go let go let go so if the mind is holding on to this residual memories of this dream and it's shaking up the mind then the way to bring back the stability and let that go is to practice breathing mindfulness meditation. Even the Buddha himself, he said, breathing mindfulness meditation will eliminate any evil, unwholesome state on the spot. That's what he said. And of course, in order for that to occur, you need to have a well-developed practice. But Denise, you've been uh, learning and practicing now with me at least for six, seven months. And I think before that too, you had some experience. So your mind should be getting to the point over the coming months that you've developed your practice well enough that when these things occur, you can sit down and do breathing mindfulness meditation and start to let these things go really easily. And you'll experience what the Buddha said, which is breathing mindfulness meditation will eliminate any evil, unwholesome states on the spot. Someone who's just starting out meditating in this way isn't going to experience that necessarily because their mind isn't trained really well yet. But someone who's got a good six months or a year, two years of training under their belt, this is what you'll experience is that the benefits really start to accumulate in your practice. Because now having meditated consistently over a long term period, the mind is more easily able to let go. And you can use breathing mindfulness meditation to let go of nightmares or if you get bad news or if there's been something that's shaken up in your household in terms of people are arguing or disgruntled, or if you get bad news about certain things, you can sit down and meditate. And it will probably be a challenge, you know, like what Chris was saying, that when things are really busy, the mind's busy, it might be a challenge, but that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to unravel and undo this process where the mind gets some news and now it gets spun up or There's all these decisions that are coming to you in your day and the the mind gets spun up or you have this dream that you wake from and the mind gets really spun up. You're trying to unravel and undo this spinning. So rather than just let the mind keep spinning and spinning and spinning and spinning about a dream or lots of decisions that you need to make or 
any kind of bad news that you receive, instead of allowing that to continue, you're cutting that off and letting it go through doing breathing mindfulness meditation and training the mind to no longer go down that path where it's just spinning and spinning and spinning. Instead, you're restraining the mind, pulling it back from that and choosing to walk down this other path where the mind can reside peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. Thank you, teacher. Also, it seems that the number of people who stop eating meat and go vegetarian or vegan increases as they learn these teachings. How does this benefit the mind and does it benefit meditation at all? Yeah, so as you learn this path, there's a lot of things to learn. There's a lot of things to understand and there's a lot of things to practice. This is why you can't just sit down and meditate and instantly attain enlightenment. This is one of the biggest myths in the world that this is how it actually happens and that the Buddha sat under a tree and instantly attained enlightenment. He doesn't say that anywhere in his teachings. He actually talks about this gradual training, gradual practice, which leads to gradual progress. And one of the things that you might choose to do at some point is eliminate ingesting meat. All these things that you need to learn and practice, you're not going to be able to accomplish them in one day or one week or one month or even one year. But instead, you gradually move towards practicing more and more of these teachings. And some people get to the point where they decide they would like to eliminate ingesting animal products as part of their practice. And this is part of practicing loving kindness and compassion for all beings because it's very difficult to have loving kindness and compassion for all beings while you're eating meat. Now, not all beings are going to be able to necessarily move to not eating meat. It's definitely something that a good amount of society should be able to do, but beings have been eating meat for so long that it's really challenging for them to move to a plant-based food supply. There's some people, very rare, but there's some people who have medical conditions that aren't able to move to this. But if I was you and you're finding yourself in that situation, I would consult with a doctor who is vegan and can help you and talk through and make sure you exhaust your resources in terms of if there's any way that you can move to vegan. Because sometimes the mind tries to justify its conduct. It tries to justify its behavior. The mind might try to convince you that you can't move to vegan for XYZ reason, but yet you still haven't yet fully exhausted all your resources. So be sure you do that as part of your process of moving towards vegan if you find yourself in a health condition that you can't move to a plant-based food supply. But for those of you that are able to move to a plant-based food supply, what you're going to observe is that ingesting plants, then the mind and the body is going to clean itself up. Because when we ingest meat, we're not just ingesting the meat. We're ingesting hormones. We're ingesting antibiotics. We're ingesting drugs and toxins and things like this that farmers are putting into the animals, that even wild animals are picking up from the groundwater and the pollution that's in the groundwater. There's fresh fish that have been pulled out of very clean streams in places like America, and they tested it and had all kinds of antidepressants and other pharmaceutical medications in the flesh of the fish. It even had cocaine in the flesh of the fish because we've been flushing this stuff down of our toilets for so long that the water table is now polluted. So when we eat meat, We're not just eating the flesh, we're actually eating all those toxins and drugs and hormones and everything else. 
And when you stop eating that stuff, you'll notice that the body and the mind will improve, that your facial complexion, your skin, your hair, your nails, your eyes, and of course the mind's gonna feel better about all of this because you're not gonna have all these toxins and drugs and hormones floating around in the body and in the mind. So as you choose to move further and further on this path, you may get to a point where you decide to stop eating animal products. And when or if you ever choose to do that is your choice, of course. And the beauty about the Buddhist teachings is you're able to independently verify the truth is that you don't have to believe what I'm saying here is that you can see the truth for yourself, that when you move from eating animal products to eating a plant-based food supply, you'll observe over the course of two months, three months, six months, how the condition of the mind and the condition of the body gradually improve. So you don't have to believe what I'm sharing here. You can actually practice it and see the truth for yourself. And as people move to a plant-based food supply, they'll see that their individual body and mind will improve. And we'll also see that the health of the planet and our environment will improve as well because we're not doing so much killing and we're not farming these animals and keeping them trapped in the suffering. But instead, we can move the planet towards having a plant-based food supply, which will be much healthier for human beings, but it'll also be healthier for our planet as well. Thank you, sir. Uh, seems Chris has his hand raised. Let's go to him. Teacher David, thank you. I have a related question, I suppose, that popped into my mind as you were answering the question about, about changing from to vegan or vegetarian. And I'm sort of in, in that process myself. And I guess my question is if you would have any advice on what to do with the, with the food that you have already in the house that is the remaining products, the remaining animal products, like if I have a frozen pizza and it has pepperoni on it and so on, like I kick the pepperoni off, but I know it was there. And so I'm sort of conflicted about eating it, that kind of thing. Um, any advice there, like just on when you're kind of in that transition of letting go and you still have those products? Yeah, you could do what you're describing in terms of a pizza, you know, taking off the meat products, or you can donate food to food banks where they accept food and stuff like that. That's another way to do it. You know, here in Thailand, the way that we purchase things is we kind of purchase things for like today, you know, or the next two or three days. We don't usually purchase food like we did when I lived in America. You know, you could load up for a whole month uh, in terms of your food going to the grocery store. So that makes sense that somebody in your situation who's transitioning, you might still have some products that you would prefer not to eat right now. And one of the things you can do is you're not interested in wasting the food. So you could give it away to a food bank or a homeless shelter or a place that is serving that kind of food because it's already been killed. It's already ended up in the our food supply and throwing it out is just going to waste it. And there are still beings in this world who eat meat. So, you know, why not send it in that direction so that at least somebody gets to benefit from all the time, effort, energy, and resources that went into producing that. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, sir. Uh, Jan asks, I am vegan myself, but live in a household with people who are not ready to eat vegan. I'm responsible for shopping and often cooking to find troubles me to buy meat, eggs, milk, etc. At the same time, I don't feel comfortable refusing to do this for my family. 
Do you have any guidance? Yeah, so what you're doing is the way that I would practice, is you got to find that middle way, is that what you ingest and what you take in, those are your decisions, and that's what's going to affect health of your body. But in this household where you're providing food and you're shopping, if you didn't purchase these things for your husband or other people that are living in your household, you would experience unwholesome gamma because of that. It would put some tension and some uh, difficulties in the household. So our goal isn't to change other people. Our goal is to improve our own practice and make our own decisions. So if you're making decisions to only eat plant-based food, and your husband is still eating animal products, if you purchase milk or you purchase cheese or you purchase meat and you cook it, you're not actually being affected by those decisions other than the fact that the environment is still affected. But your husband ingesting that food, he's the one who's being impacted by that. Your decision is I'm purchasing food and I'm making this food out of generosity for my significant other, for my life partner. That's a wholesome decision. Him choosing to continue to eat animal products is his decision. I'm in the same situation. I decided to go vegan about three and a half years ago, but my wife has been kind of slowly moving in that way. And I haven't pushed her, I haven't forced her or anything like that, but she's you know, slowly moving towards that. I don't think she's doing it consciously. I think just because I'm eating more vegan, her son is eating more vegan, she tends to be in vegan restaurants now with us or she'll we'll ask her to pick up some food on the way home. But there are situations where I'm out and she'll say, hey, can you pick me up this or can you pick me up that or can you get me that? And of course, my answer is sure, I can do that for you. But it's her decision to eat those shrimp or it's her decision to eat that crab. And it's affecting her in the way that she's ingesting that meat. My decision is I will you know, practice loving kindness. I will practice compassion here. I will practice generosity and purchase this food for you. So you can continue to do what you're doing and just let go of any kind of feeling that you're doing something wrong or that you need to change your husband because you don't need to change him. He has to make his own decisions. But what you're practicing is loving kindness, compassion, and generosity in that situation. And that's only going to produce wholesome results for you. If you were to also ingest the food, that's where it's going to start affecting the body in your own mind. So you're not doing that. You're just practicing the loving kindness, compassion, and generosity. And then someday he may or may not choose to move to a plant-based food supply. But if he does, it will benefit him. If he doesn't, then he'll continue to experience the results of that. But that's his choices, you know, his life, his choices, and his results. I would say continue doing what you're doing. No need to put any kind of strain or pressure in the relationship by attempting to force your husband to do one thing or the other or telling him, like, I'm not going to buy you food anymore. I'm not going to cook you food anymore. This is going to cause challenges in your relationship as well. So you find that middle way where you're not trying to change him, but you're also not opting out of the whole food thing and saying, you know, do it yourself kind of thing. Um, you can find that middle way where you can rest assured that you're not the one causing any harm in that situation because you're practicing loving kindness, compassion, and generosity. Thank you, teacher. Um, suppose that a parent cooks meat for children and then uses the scraps from that meat to make broth 
and then uses that broth for cooking what is supposed to be vegetarian food, would that be okay for someone intending to eat as a vegetarian to eat that? You know, anything that anybody decides is okay. The Buddhist teachings aren't about, you know, rules or commandments or trying to force somebody of, of what they should or shouldn't do. But instead, his teachings are providing guidance so that we can see how when we make decisions that those decisions lead to certain results. So anything anybody would like to do, you know, if somebody would like to go out and murder somebody or snort cocaine or do any, you know, lie or steal. Okay, that's their decision. It's going to affect them. We're not here to give rules or commandments or anything like this. But asking that question, which is where I know it's coming from, and I'm just giving these this background, is that there is harm in that situation that is being caused. That if somebody's cooking food and they're intending to go vegan or vegetarian and they're not quite there yet and they would like to do something like what you're talking about, okay, you know, they're in the transition. They know where the goal is. They're headed towards a plant-based food supply, but they're in this transition. But they shouldn't kid themselves or fool themselves that boiling this meat or preparing this meat making a broth and then putting this broth into plant-based food that that is somehow still vegetarian or vegan because that hormones those drugs those toxins they're still in that broth and that's still getting into the food intake and you're still being affected by that so a person who's truly moving towards completely a plant-based food supply would eliminate something like what you're describing from their practice. But it is usually gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress. You can't just you know, snap your fingers and everything changes because you've got to find new restaurants, you got to find new recipes, you got to learn how to cook food differently, you've got to find new suppliers to supply you the food that you're looking for. You might have to do a lot of research. One of the things I had to do is I was like, wow, I'm not really sure if I'm interested in giving up pizza. I will if I need to, but let me research this. And what I found out is actually pizza dough doesn't have eggs in it. It's just flour and water pretty much. And I was like, wow, I can still eat pizza. All right. Same thing when I I really enjoy Indian food and I eat non bread and, you know, non, you can get garlic, you can get butter, non, you can get all these different flavors. And I was like, okay, well, let me look at non. I was like, non bread must be vegetarian because Indian people are, are vegetarian a lot. So when I looked at that and did the research, I was like, yeah, you know, non bread is vegetarian. So remember that all wholesome decisions are going to come from generosity, loving kindness, and wisdom. So that means we need to increase our wisdom when we're doing something like moving from a meat food supply over to a plant-based food supply we're going to have to do some research we're going to have to have that enlightenment factor of investigation we're going to have to have that enlightenment factor of energy which arises this joy so that when we start looking and investigating and gaining more wisdom we can start finding foods that no longer have animal products and there's going to be some foods that you're just going to have to choose to stop eating and not allow the taste or the flavor, don't allow the mind to to crave that. And then there are certain things that are new that you've never eaten before. You're going to find all these new food products that you can actually eat as part of your new food supply. And you'll find that the body and the mind are so much more healthier this way. So a person who would like to move to a completely plant-based food supply 
it's going to take some time some effort it's going to take time i mean there was about a month or two ago i was somewhere and you know i hadn't eaten and i was at a, a mall and there was all these different places that were selling food and there was nowhere that i could find that sold any plant-based food there was a, a place that i normally eat at this mall that sells pad thai which is this noodles and i can usually get them to make it with you know uh, tofu and bean sprouts and things like this but that one shop that i usually go to was closed and here i was deep in this mall with my son and with my wife and there was no way for me to eat anything and i hadn't eaten all day long and it was like 3 p.m in the afternoon so i went to the next best option which is there is this place that serves this egg omelet it's called kaijio and they serve it over rice so even though i've been eating vegan for three three and a half years there was this one situation about a month ago where i needed to eat an egg and where if my mind was craving and desiring to never eat any animal products whatsoever i would have been discontent in that situation but instead what i did is i walked around i checked all the food stalls like two three times maybe four times i looked everywhere very closely i read every single item on the menu i looked at what they were providing and there was just no way for me to eat and i know that here in thailand if you don't eat you go out in this heat and you know you'll collapse pretty readily so at 3 p.m in the afternoon i was like okay well looks like i'm going to be eating an egg so i went ahead and, and got the egg and the rice and that's what i needed in order to nourish the body in that particular moment so that's where the middle way comes in whereas if we were lackadaisical and we just thought like oh we'll just keep eating animal products it doesn't matter who really cares i'm just going to keep eating these animal products but also if we held on to always eating plant-based food no matter what in any situation i might have fallen out and ended up in the hospital with an iv somewhere who knows uh, so in this situation i realized that okay the world hasn't really caught up to where i am in my practice and here i am in this mall in the middle of thailand where there's nobody that's serving plant-based food so let me be sure that i you know ingest something that's going to take care of the body and nourish the body so i don't fall out and my son's going to be here all by himself so i opted for an egg because i felt like that was like the thing that was going to cause the least amount of harm i definitely wasn't interested in eating any animal flesh or any tissue or anything like that but in that situation i opted for an egg and that was like the first egg i've had in i don't know how long but anyway you kind of get the idea that there's this middle way and as more and more restaurants around are opening up that are serving plant-based food then you start building up your ability to know where this plant-based food is and then you find yourself not doing that that you don't have to revert back to eating something like an egg or something else uh, so you just keep your your eyes focused on the goal and just gradually move towards what it is you're moving towards and don't allow the mind to get bogged down in something like central desire where it's holding on to some flavor that it wants through the tongue because this would be an obstacle if we allow the mind to hold on to something like oh i just enjoy eating pork so much or you know i enjoy eating this so much i mean in thailand they make some amazing food and some of the most favorite foods that i had that were meat i had to let them go and no longer going to eat those ever again 
But the beauty is, is that now I've got all these new foods that I've never eaten before that I'm now experiencing that I would have never experienced before. So you walk towards the goal, realizing that there's going to be a potential situation here and there where you might not be able to meet the goal or objective or interest that you have to eat plant-based food. And in that situation, I was looking for how do I cause the least amount of harm here? And for me, that was the egg and the rice. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Speaking of gradual training, if a practitioner has been learning with you since the beginning of the group learning program, will they attain enlightenment by the end of the course? This is not possible in just six months or seven months. And there's no way for a teacher to guarantee that a student is or isn't going to attain enlightenment. We can say that if you learn, you reflect in your practice, you're going to experience benefits. You're definitely going to experience results if a student does the work. It's all up to the student to be dedicated and determined and diligent in their practice because they need to learn, they need to reflect, they need to practice. Yes, meditation, but there's all these other things outside of meditation as well. So there's no possible way for a teacher to guarantee any specific results like you know, study for six months or seven months and you will get enlightened or you will get to the first stage of enlightenment or anything like this. If you hear anything like this, this is like a big red flag if somebody's guaranteeing results. I can say that students who study with me and they practice what they're being taught, I've heard people in as little as two or three days come to me and share with me benefits that they're experiencing. Like when I've taught retreats here in Thailand. There's been situations where someone's been in the retreat for two or three days learning and practicing, doing meditation, and they will come in like on the third day and they'll say, you know, David, I got this email that, you know, three days ago would have just shaken the mind up and I would have just been, you know, so lost or stressed or anxious or angry or what have you. But based on the things that I've learned over the last two or three days, I just looked at that email and realized it was impermanence and I just accepted it and moved on. And they were just amazed how just in two or three days they had that experience. So there are people that experience that. And there's some people who I hear after two or three weeks of learning and practicing with me that they experience these kind of things. But not everybody is going to experience that because that would be permanence. But I can say if somebody is dedicated, they're determined and they're diligent and they learn and practice, they're going to experience results because I know with 100% certainty that these teachings that I'm sharing are directly the words of the Buddha and that they absolutely work because I confirm the teachings in four different ways. One is the things that I teach are in the Pali Canon, the original source teachings. Then I didn't believe those original source teachings. Instead, I learned them, I reflected on them, and I practiced them and I saw the results from my own mind, that I saw that these teachings in the original source were actually improving the condition of my own mind. Then I started sharing these teachings with students over the last several years, and students are seeing the benefits and the results as well. And then the fourth way is every once in a while, I'll be in contact with Thai people here in Thailand, and they'll say, you know, what are you, what are you teaching? We know you teach Buddhism, you know, what is it that you teach? And I'll share with them what I teach, and they're like, oh, that's interesting. I was studying with this monk, you know, two weeks ago who everyone knows is enlightened. 
and he's teaching the same thing you're teaching. He's teaching in Thai, you're teaching in English. So I can share with you, you know, like what you're sharing is definitely what we share in all of our uh, places where we know that people are enlightened. These master monks and these ordained practitioners who we know to be enlightened are sharing similar teachings as what you're sharing, just in a different language. So with these four ways of confirming the teachings is in the original source teachings, in my own practice, through sharing with students and seeing them improve, and then through ties confirming that what they had learned with master monks who are enlightened and the community knows they're enlightened is the same thing that I'm sharing. Then that's how I know what I'm sharing is the truth, but it still comes down to the student having determination, dedication, and diligence. Without that, then it doesn't matter what a teacher is teaching. If it's just going in one ear and out the other and the student isn't actually practicing, then they wouldn't be able to actually experience the results and the benefits. So it really comes down to the student's effort and energy in their practice. And that's what's going to actually lead to the results in their practice. Thank you, sir. Once a practitioner attains enlightenment, would that person walk around kind of looking down on others because they're not enlightened? No, an enlightened being wouldn't do that because that would be arrogance or pride. That would be conceit. And an enlightened being would have had to experience all the same, you know, similar suffering and discontentedness that other unenlightened beings are experiencing. So any enlightened being that's enlightened, they would have ascended or evolved out of this discontentedness that they know that their mind was affected by. And they knew that they had to do a lot of work in order to get to enlightenment. And then once they're experiencing enlightenment, they know that they've eliminated discontentedness 100% and they figured out how to do that. And they would have such loving kindness and compassion for any beings who are still in discontentedness, who are still unenlightened. They would have an enormous amount of loving kindness and compassion for them. So oftentimes what you find is that people who are enlightened will find ways to help and support the teachings, whether it's through generosity or through just practicing the teachings or setting up organizations to bring the teachings into the world more and more. Some people choose to be teachers. In one way or another, an enlightened being knows how deeply impactful the Buddhist teachings are, and they're going to be interested in seeing these teachings continue in the world because they know that that's what's going to end all the world's discontentedness. But we can't give enlightenment to somebody. We can't pressure somebody. We can't force somebody to attain enlightenment. Instead, we need to kind of invite people in. You know, we can have classes, we can have retreats, we can have different events and invite people to come in. But again, each person has to do the work. So anybody who's enlightened would not look down on others. If they were, then they weren't enlightened. If somebody had conceit and arrogance and pride and boastfulness and disparaged people who are still unenlightened, then that person isn't actually enlightened. They may think they're enlightened. They may believe they're enlightened, but that's not what a person who is enlightened actually does. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. That seems to be our first day. All right. Well, thank you all for joining for today's class, whether you're joining us on Facebook, YouTube, on our podcast, whether you're in Zoom or any of the other places that we share content across the world. I'd like to thank you all for joining for today's class. 
This is the end of our kind of group learning program, kind of the official last class. And we're restarting the program on the 6th of April, which is next Wednesday. That's the beginning of the program. And if you aren't able to attend on that day, that's going to be recorded and you'll be able to digest that information through Facebook, YouTube, or our podcast or any of the other places where we distribute content. So that's the official start of our group learning program. And that's where I'm going to go through and kind of set up the whole program and explain it to you and how to get the best results out of the program. And then that following Sunday, which is the 10th of April, that's going to be the very first class where I'm going to be sharing a three-part series over three Sundays, The Eightfold Path. The Eightfold Path is the path to enlightenment. So we're going to take our time and go through in three individual classes and really deeply dive in to the Eightfold Path over three individual classes. This Sunday coming up, it's kind of like the unofficial start of the group learning program. This is where we're going to do kind of a a special class where students are able to come and ask me any questions that you like. The title of the class is Getting to Know the Teacher. So if you have any questions about me personally or about teaching these teachings or what I'm doing, what the goals of this life are for me, what I've experienced in the past or anything that you would like to know, what were the most challenging parts of this path or what are the difficulties, the struggles that I encountered, how did I overcome those? anything like that. If you'd like to know about my family or my background or you know what I did in the business world when I used to be in the business world, anything and anything. You can ask me any questions you like. There's no question that is off limits. You can ask any and all questions that you like. So that's going to be on this Sunday. So thank you all for everything that you've done in order to participate in this program, whether you've been a student or a moderator or you've made donations in order to help support this program and ensure that it could continue and actually help people. I really appreciate all the support, whether you've joined the class once or you've joined multiple times or you plan to restart the program. There's been a lot of support along the way, and I would just like to take this moment to thank everybody. No matter what amount of participation you've had in the program, I would like to just thank all of you guys and help you understand how appreciative and how much gratitude I have for everything that you've contributed. Even the questions that you guys ask, these are outstanding to help draw out the teachings more and allow us to have more discussion about the Buddhist teachings. And it helps to bring more wisdom into the world so that all of you can learn, reflect, and practice and get closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. So thank you all for your kindness, for your gratitude, for your kind words, for your thoughtfulness, for your respect and everything that you do to help this program be the very best program that it can be. So thank you so much. So we'll see you guys in a future class. In the meantime, have a very lovely rest of your day. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.